Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Uh, we are live at our auto expert for the next uh, couple of hours talking to you about what's new in cars, trucks, and SUVs. Packed show for you today and uh, lots of special guests in studio on the phone. Going to get to talk to, uh, to Todd Pollock. And Todd is the chief engineer of the Cadillac XT4. He's going to join us on the phone. And I am actually going to go straight from the studios to join Todd and the team in Seattle to talk about that car. That's coming up on today's show. Janelle Grigsby going to join us to talk about the brand new GTR 50, which is uh, the new version of the GTR over a million dollars just if you were thinking about buying one. She's also going to talk to us about the Japanese classic car show going on in Long Beach. Uh, Phil from Infinity talk about their vehicle that they showed for the first time at Pebble Beach. Uh, Alex Dykes is going to join us in the studio. You will know him from YouTube, from Alex on Autos, and we're going to talk about uh, the brand new vehicles that we tested on the resort of the mountain this week we chose the uh, performance car and performance suv of the year anton warman joining us to talk about what's going on in sales trends and the pot smoking man from the head of tesla <laughs> elon musk so in the studio is the team for this week uh, alex is with us throughout the whole show so is ryan uh, is megan from mommytravels.net and jen our executive thanks for putting the show together jen you're welcome yeah, she always does a good job about putting the show together making sure that uh, i keep all my I's dotted and my T's crossed. Uh, on the phone, joining us today from Seattle, where uh, he is getting ready to uh, introduce his new XT4 to the world from Cadillac, is Todd Pollock. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me, and nice to speak with you again. We spoke back, I think, uh, during the XT4 reveal in March. Yes, when it was revealed at the New York International Auto Show. So you have a new SUV. This is long-awaited because everyone's been asking for a, a sort of more compact version of a Cadillac. The first time you've had one, what are people going to expect from this new vehicle? Well, Nick, I think the operative word, and maybe it's two words, really, is, is all new. It's an all-new Cadillac entry, the XT4. It's a subcompact luxury SUV, which is the fastest-growing segment uh, in, in the world right now. And it's an all-new architecture. Uh, so it really gives us the ability to design something with a clean sheet. Um, and that enabled us to put the wheels farther forward, pull them out, give it a really good stance, that helped with the exterior design, which is the number one reason for purchase. People don't want to come walk and look at the vehicle if it doesn't look great. And then as an engineer, that allowed me to lead the team to really do some amazing things with ride and handling um, and responsiveness. And then add to that a brand new uh, two-liter turbo engine. And uh, we think we've got a real winner here. So here's a problem. Uh, with a lot of these cars, it costs so much money to develop a new platform for a vehicle that a lot of companies have been trying to expand what they have, adapt existing platforms, and use uh, bits and pieces that they already have, let's say, spent the engineering money on. So why did Cadillacs expect to put so much money into a brand new vehicle? Because this was a huge investment for you guys. Yeah, Nick, when, we, when you bring out a, a new entry into a segment, you really get one chance to do it right. And so we looked at other alternatives available to us and decided that um, we need to do something different, something better. So we decided to develop a new architecture. 
and and what what does this architecture offer that maybe the competition doesn't do so well? Uh, we think we've got the right size. It's it's really I think the best of both worlds. It's the agility and efficiency of a sub subcompact SUV, but it's got the features and space of a, a larger compact SUV. And so to answer your question, I think that's the shortcoming of the current offerings out there. They were designed primarily in Europe. Um, when we talked to the customers of those German uh, automotive companies here, and we find out that they, they settled. Those vehicles were smaller than they wanted. Um, they really wanted something bigger, but they couldn't afford the next larger entry. So we've positioned ourselves at the top end of the small segment and the very bottom end of that larger segment, and we think there's a sweet spot there to, again, have the agility and efficiency from a fuel economy perspective of the smaller segment with the, uh, the feature set and the uh, space of the larger set. One of the things the Cadillac well known for is, of course, their performance. Uh, you have the Vs in the Cadillac lineup. So are we going to see uh, fun to drive, uh, a lot of cool performance numbers coming out of this new SUV? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of vanilla out there. There's a lot of very boring SUVs out there in the world. I mean, I just got to test drive uh, five of the best performance SUVs in the world, and, and there are so many not interesting SUVs. Uh, are we going to see something that's going to be fun to drive? Absolutely. And, I, you know, this entry segment um, is not fun to drive, quite frankly. And so we have uh, focused on what it takes to get steering precision, to get front suspension uh, precision uh, with an isolated rear suspension to really provide a fun to drive experience. And then with our brand new two liter turbo engine, uh, which is a very wide torque curve, uh, made that to a nine speed transmission. And you're always in the sweet spot of the torque curve. So I, I think we are we're going to we're going to raise some eyes with respect to our fun to drive uh, attitude, the brand new powertrain, and then just the, the looks that are much different, as you say, from the vanilla entries that are out there right now. Well, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, and this is specific for an engineer question, is all-wheel drive. So a lot of times in the past, all-wheel drive was really for those people that lived above the Mason-Dixon line, those people that experienced poor weather that would need a vehicle that could handle it. But but as we grow as a car culture in North America, people are realizing that all-wheel drive can also increase performance. And so people are putting all-wheel drive as standard in a lot of their vehicles, and it's becoming, uh, let's say, a must-have for even people that don't need all-wheel drive. Now, in the Northwest, of course, rainy, cold, uh, icy throughout the winter, that is a possibility. Uh, how important was the all-wheel drive system, and how does the uh, XT4 match up? It's extremely important. We've decided, though, there are still plenty of folks in the southern states that aren't interested in the you know additional losses that all-wheel drive provides from a fuel economy perspective. So we still offer front-wheel drive, and we'll still, we'll still sell a, uh, quite a few of those. Our approach on all-wheel drive was to add that system, but to make it um, able to be disabled so it reduces the frictional losses. So one can get uh, an all-wheel drive, but get the fuel economy of nearly a front-wheel drive when they don't need all-wheel drive, and then just with the touch of a button, we'll put you in on-demand. The other thing that uh, I think differentiates the X-T4 is the rear, um, the rear execution of the all-wheel drive system um, where we can throw torque to, uh, to both wheels, um, you know, really being able to provide even in dry yeah. roads 
torque uh, torque on demand in the back. Todd, perfect. Thanks for joining us today on the phone. I'm going to get to drive that XT4 coming up very, very soon. We've got more, including the GTR 50, next on Our Auto Expert. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Um, you know what I really like? I love it when I get texts from police departments that said, hey, do you want to come out and do some fun driving with us? We're doing some training of some new officers. Do you want to you take part in some pit maneuver exercises? That really makes me smile, makes me happy. I got one of those this morning when I woke up, and uh, it makes me giggle inside. Now I'm trying to work out if we can take something really cool out there, because you know if you go out to a training ground where police officers are training with a vehicle, and you take out, you know, like a super 800 horsepower, 700 horsepower vehicle, you know, you'll have to take a bunch of rags so they can wipe the drool off at the bottom of their faces. <laughs> and then they have the radar guns on the police motorcycles. And so what they can do is they can radar how fast you do your zero to 60s or radar, you know, your top speeds and stuff. And then you have some, I mean, Jan, it's great Facebook material. I know. Right? I want to go. Have you ever, uh, Alex, have you ever done testing with any police department? Done a little bit. And? Uh, it was an awful lot of fun. It was, yeah. you know, uh, the Tahoes aren't the most exciting vehicle to drive around a track, but, you know, you can have a lot of fun in a Tahoe. I, think, I think you should take a, a BMW M5 out with you with, like, some child seats strapped in the back <laughs> so they can see how absolutely insanely fast that is. Yeah, 600 horsepower. They get very excited about that, too. <laughs> uh, that's going to be fun. I'm not going to blow it, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be fun. We're going to do a little bit of that. Um, I want to ask you guys, how much money is too much money to pay for a car? None. Well, I'm pretty, no I'm pretty cheap, so <laughs> anything over like thirty-five thousand. Really, thirty-five thousand is is your limit on how much you'd pay. Yeah. Oh, how how much is too much for me? Yeah. Or just generally? No, individually, like. Oh, for me, like five dollars. Right. <laughs> Alex is clearly super cheap. So, but you have you have YouTube a doesn't make enough cash. Your your stable of cars is uh, about as big as mine. It's eclectic. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have Durango's. I, I have... did just buy a Durango. I think that was that was the most expensive car we've ever bought. It was almost fifty. Which one? The Citadel, uh, all-wheel drive. It's the longest name I could actually think of. The Dodge Durango, Citadel anodized platinum all-wheel drive. Uh, we, How on earth is that a car? We name? had a, we had one of those like two years ago. Uh, I don't think it was an anodized platinum, but it was a platinum. And and you know my my uh, my uh, materials engineering husband tells me that it is not possible to anodize platinum. So FCA really should work on that. <laughs> That's this is not physically possible. Alex is calling you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you hear that, FCA? <laughs> uh, Ryan, how much is too much money for you to spend on a car? Well, I'm way younger than everyone here, so millions. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if you're way. Younger. Is that Have is you that okay? Have you ever bought a car? I have a a. $20,000 car. Oh, Corolla. Okay. <laughs> hey, we didn't have to say what it was. <laughs> Sorry. Is it a Corolla I, S? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> what Crazy, else would it silly be? people. Uh, Nissan just brought out a vehicle, a, I guess, a form of their GTR. And this vehicle is uh, $1,050,000. And I have to tell you that I thought that was pretty ridiculous when I just like, got the basic information about I it. I just have one question, though. Yes. 
So the car is a million. Yes. What's the 50,000 for? Uh, well, I, I'll tell you that in a second. Delivery? Destination? No. <laughs> it, it, it's a conversion from euros to dollars. The oh. day it was done, it happened to be a million 50,000. That's why. So I believe a base GTR is like 110,000. So you can get six, I think. You can get 10 stock GTRs for one GTR 50. Yes, that was the idea. One to ten. Janelle's dying to tell us. Yeah, she is dying to tell us. On the phone is Janelle Grigsby from Nissan. Good morning. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Good afternoon. I guess it is afternoon. Afternoon. Yeah, it is afternoon. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's morning for me. I I got up late today. Uh, Janelle, $1,050,000. That's the most expensive car that Nissan's ever offered, isn't it? I do believe so, and it's well worth it for sure. I mean, you drove it. What did you think? Uh, well, I was, you know, I I would have it. <laughs> I, 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 well, what's the payments on that? And we work it out. It's probably like a uh, hundred. Really? I'm thinking probably about a hundred and fifty thousand a month. No, I mean a, a year, something like that. Well, it would be ridiculous. I have to tell you, I have two degrees in art history, and I work in PR, so finance <laughs> is not my strong suit. <laughs> so I can't tell you exactly what your payments will be, but that's just the starting point, actually. I mean, you've been in the car and driven it, and basically it's number zero of what's anticipated to be approximately 50 vehicles. But what's going to make them very unique is although a million buys you into this creative process, it actually opens the door and makes you a part of the creative process. So yes, you could start at a million, but you could bespoke this car to your specifications as you see fit. If you would like a diamond encrusted shifter, that's a possibility. The world is your oyster with this vehicle. So uh, bejeweled this, you know, bejeweled I'm sure you'll that. Be seeing <laughs> multiple different vehicles out there with different paint jobs, etc. Yeah, and they're going to be carried over to other Nissan vehicles, the diamond encrusted whatnots. Well, potentially not, but <laughs> this is a definitely a unique vehicle, and we encourage the new owners to make it as bespoke to them as they'd like. If you'd like to do it all up in USC colors or uh, Harvard colors or whichever Ivy League you've gone to, that's great. Or if it's, you know, purple is your thing, we encourage that as well. We really want people to be as creative as possible to make something that they are going to love. Because the best advice I've ever been given is only buy what you love. All right. Um, I love it, but I can't afford it. So there, you know, there's a <laughs> gap there somewhere. Uh, here's the deal. Um, I'm, and I want you to tell us a little bit about why. But first of all, so I think probably about six people got to drive this car. I was the second uh, auto journalist that got to drive it. And the Italian guys from Ital Design, who were the designers of this vehicle, they allowed me to... Oh, Jen just worked it out. Uh, no, 80? Oh, me. somebody else worked it out. Uh, uh, Jeff worked it out in our newsroom. Uh, 89 months would be 12500 a month. Hey, that's right. not bad. 84 months. That's not 84 bad. months. My real question is for $500,000, could I have a bespoke Nissan Pathfinder? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not on the market. But <laughs> I'm sure you could do that. That sounds like an aftermarket project. You know, I, are you sure that's right, Jeff? Uh, 84 months at 12500 That seems kind of low. Maybe 120000 Seven years, he says. <laughs> oh, seven years. Oh yeah, but you know what? You didn't you didn't think of interest in there. Okay, you guys haven't named off a single feature yet yeah. that would piqued <laughs> exactly. my interest for a million dollars. Over seven hundred horsepower, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Janelle, what's the horsepower on this car? 
estimated 700 to, or sorry, 710 to 720 is what the estimation is. That might so, might beat so, McLaren. So here is yes, it's probably fast or as fast as a, a 720s. Here's so I got a million questions. We might have to we might have to continue this conversation after the news. But here's here's my first question. So I think six journalists got to drive the car. I was number two, and we were supposed to get two laps. And the guys from Intel Design were sitting in the car next to me. And he goes, "Oh no, we have too much fun. Keep going, keep going." And the, the marshal's flagging me in at Laguna Seca, like, "Okay, you're done." And he goes, "Oh, just ignore him. Keep going." <laughs> so I went, I went for four laps, which actually caused quite a few problems because the other journalists, uh, because things were going on later in the day when they got to drive it, some of them only got to drive it for one lap, oh. which was clearly at then this point. Now I'm the guy that they think is the, you know. Oh well. That word that I can't say on the radio, and uh, and I got into trouble over that because they were all very unhappy with me. Uh, why, why, Janelle? Why, why are you making this car? Well, it's a big step for Nissan. It's the 50th anniversary of the GTR. It's the 50th anniversary of Intel Design. So our creative director, Alfonso Albaiza, um, got together with Intel Design and came up with this magnificent idea, and it's. Spectacular. The photos that I saw before seeing the unit in person did not do it justice. The breadth and depth of the paint color, I mean, it was pretty spectacular. I've never seen a paint job quite like this. And all the little details, it's very well thought out and very, it has those intricate little details that make it a very special car. But as for those Italians, I traveled with them down here in L.A. And if they, if you run into them again, please don't listen to them. Okay. <laughs> All right. To you. Uh, I want to talk more about this, but I'm I'm only up to about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in value. But then you realize there's only there's only fifty of them being made. So uh, hang on, Janelle. Don't go anywhere. We need to continue this conversation because I have like a million more questions after the news. You're listening to our auto expert. I'm Nick Miles. Still to come, Janelle's going to join us for the next segment to talk about that. A one million and fifty thousand dollar GTR that we've been driving as our auto expert continues. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to our auto expert. Uh, we are talking to Janelle Grigsby from Nissan on the phone about this uh, GTR 50, uh, which, you know, has got me very excited now. Uh, Janelle, very different design, lowered, widened, um, almost like, uh, I don't know how to explain the nose end of it. It's sort of a fish bass at the front. front. A fish bass? Yeah, it's a big opening at the front to get all that air in there to cool down that now 710 horsepower engine. Is and that a gorgeous two-tone look to it too that I like. Yeah, the paint is interesting because it looks almost like it's got clouds in the paint. It's not a solid color. Uh, that, would that be a, a direct and correct explanation? Oh, Janelle. I, <laughs> I, maybe I lost Janelle. There you go. Are you there? Oh. Let me try this again. I think I lost Janelle. Maybe she didn't like the question. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you didn't like. Are you there, Janelle? Oh, well, I have to get Brandon to get Janelle back or something. I, well, it's on our test miles. Page. Yeah, so on the I test miles page, you can go see uh, pictures of that. Yeah, the uh, Nissan GTR R50. Uh, the tail lap modules are pretty cool too. 
Um, yes, and what those sort of fins on the side and the lights. So that that's kind of cool as well. I but like as I the, understand it, there are there are mechanical changes other than just the extra horsepower. Am I correct there, Nick? Uh, yes, they actually widened it. They lowered it. They, they made it a bunch wider. Um, they also made it. Uh, I think fifty minutes, uh, fifty uh, fifty uh, inches wider. Uh, that was to me, or fifty millimeters. I think. Oh, okay. Wider. I was say fifty inches, inches wider might not fit on a road in America. <laughs> it is a good looking car. Um, would you? The question is Golden Godzilla. It's one of fifty. So at that point, uh, would you have one? No. I think. Are they all sold? I I heard somewhere that they had already all been sold. Is that correct? I don't know. Do we see if we have uh, Janelle back on the phone with us? You there, Janelle? No, we still didn't manage to get her back. But uh, well, I'll get Brandon to work on uh, getting Janelle back. Here's the deal: is is uh, we always have these issues when I do you know crazy things like operate the soundboard <laughs> myself. And uh, then Brandon has to run around and go, what did Nick press? What did he do? Does it have Apple uh, CarPlay? <laughs> it, it, I don't believe so. I think, <gasps> I no, think you know what? Uh, Nissan cars are all getting Apple CarPlay and Android Auto from now yeah, in the future. So I'm sure that the new heads-up unit inside the GT, uh, GTR 50 will do as well. Uh, the fact that they only have 50 of them, the last I heard that there was still, they'd only sold around eight. Oh. But here's the deal. is There's a not, chance for the, everybody listening. Though. Yeah. I, the deal is I don't think they're for sale in uh, just the United States. And um, they're also for sale in um, the rest of but America. Here's so. what I want to know. Do you have to fill out an application and apply in order to be able to purchase one of these? Well, we've got Janelle back now. So, Janelle, uh, do you have to fill out an application for one of these, or can you just throw your money down? I, I believe it's some kind of conversation, although I won't be having it myself either. <laughs> um. <laughs> Nor will we. It attracted a lot of attention, I do have to say, when the vehicle came down here to Los Angeles following its um, uh, visit to Monterey Car Week up in uh, Pebble Beach and enjoyed some some festivities up there. Uh, I came down to L.A. and I got to spend about a week with it. And I have to tell you, it's like bouncing for George Clooney. Everybody wants near it. It's very exciting. And um, we got to have some really great experiences with it, I do have to say. And Nick's right, there are some some structural changes to it, um, as you mentioned, um, the hood has a more pronounced bulge. The thin LED headlights stretch from the wheel arch to the lip above the outer cooling tanks. Um, it also has been lowered by 54 millimeters, which I should translate for our, <laughs> our American audience. But again, as I mentioned, I went to art school, so <laughs> there you go. Um, it has a signature uh, cooling blade outlet behind the front wheels, which I think you mentioned, Nick, and they have gained more prominence with the gold inlay that extends from the bottom of the doors to about the shoulder line there. And um, the rear, uh, the wide track rear headlights, flares around the wheels, um, twin round taillights have been reimagined, and they have a kind of floating quality to them, wouldn't you say, Nick, with yeah. all the little... the pinholes down the taillights, which is very interesting. So they've done quite a bit to the exterior. And as you mentioned, it sits on a Nismo base. Um, but I'm sure, you know, depending on what your what your design taste is, they could do uh, quite a bit more or quite a bit different things to it. Uh, I'll tell you, so this is what happened with me. So I, did, I, get, I get to do these four laps at Laguna Seca. Um, 
get into the car, you have to wait a while, they have to make sure the track's clear, they line you up, you have to drive through, uh, if you've ever been to the historic races, which is where this took place, uh, you have to drive basically through uh, all these sort of tents that are set up where people are like working on their cars. So you're going through crowds of people in this $1 million plus car, and they're all moving out of the way. You get to the edge of the track, and the marshals you, know, you hold up there, and it's really well run. The whole historic races are really, really well run. Like, the marshals know exactly what's going on. They all know the format. You know, they're really good. And so they, then they put a couple of pace cars out there, one, one in front of you, one behind you. So you go out behind the pace car, and then you get to just drive your two laps, and then you sort of have to cool it down a little bit on your last lap. But um, we, got, we got into turn number two of the second lap, and I'm pushing it really hard because they have a film car that's filming me in front, which is a regular um, Z and this Z ended up, uh, I had a lot more power than it. So I was right on his backside. So at some point he pulled over and then I took over. And at turn two on lap two, the back end slid out from under me because I was pushing it way too hard. So here I have a million point fifty thousand dollar car going sideways at Laguna Seca. When I, I, and of course I saved it. I didn't get into trouble. But the, the driver said, the guy from Metal Design said, I noticed lap th three and four were considerably slower for you, <laughs> which was uh, kind of funny. So, well, uh, thanks very much, uh, Janelle, for joining us. Great time talking about the Nissan GTR 50. We didn't get to the other topics we wanted to talk to you about today, but still to come, uh, we're going to jump over to your sister brand, Infinity, and we're going to talk to them a little bit about the cars that they showed off, the car they showed off at Pebble Beach. More of our auto expert hey, with Jim Miles is on the way. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. As you're going to stay with uh, Nissan's sister company, Infinity. Uh, if you've never been to Pebble Beach, uh, Pebble Beach is kind of an interesting. It's actually called uh, Car Week now, I think, instead of Pebble Beach, because Pebble Beach is just one very small portion of what. I'm looking at Alex because you're from that area of the world. I, I am, but I, I avoid Pebble Beach because the crowds are epic. <laughs> it is uh, very busy. Try to explain that to Ryan before we got there. Didn't listen to me and then realized, like, wow, it takes forever to get anywhere. <laughs> if you haven't been there, it's the gr if you like cars anyway, it's the greatest place on earth. Everybody should go once. Except, yes. except uh, only 10% of the people would make it the greatest place on earth. We had like 10% less people, you know, 90% less people. Yeah, that's true. Actually, when, when we get to go, it is better because there aren't as many people there, but the public days are exactly. really busy. I can't even imagine. So at Car Week, they show off the uh, the cars of the past. They give glimpses of cars of the future. And, you know, they have it at what they call a concept lawn. And part of this glimpses of cars of the future was uh, from Infinity. You know, Infinity showed off uh, one of their cars. And uh, Phil O'Connor is joining us on the phone to talk a little bit about that. So, Phil, tell us what you showed for the first time at the Pebble Beach Car Week this, this couple of weeks gone by. Oh, and let's try that again. Are you there, Phil? Nope. Uh, everybody's got their arms up in the studio. We managed to, uh, we've, we've managed to, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Phil's a really great guy. <laughs> I, I know he is. I actually know he is. Um, really I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it manually. Are you there, Phil? Yes, I'm here. There you are, you see. I did manually. They had, they had me this week, Phil, using the computer to pull everybody up and instead of push buttons. I like pushing buttons. I'm, a, I'm an analog type of guy. So uh, uh, I hear you. <laughs> tell me, uh, Phil, a little bit about, about the, uh, the new vehicle that you showed off. 
Yeah, the, uh, the, the vehicle that we were highlighting this week was uh, our Prototype 10, which, which is a kind of a glimpse into the future of Infinity. Uh, last year, we, we, uh, we showed off a car that was called Prototype 9, and it was a kind of a view into what Infinity designers, how they would interpret a 1940s race car. And it, it got a lot of attention. It was a very interesting-looking concept, and we thought this year we'd do, go the opposite direction and, and ask our designers to, to come up with an idea as to what a roadster might look like using our future design uh, language. And that's really what they did, and it's all about what does electrification do for you in terms of freeing up the platform. And, and so it's, it's a future look at what Infinity is, is where we're headed. And, uh, and it got a lot of, um, a lot of great, we got a lot of great feedback. We had it on the concept lawn that you mentioned on Sunday at, at the concourse, as well as a few other places around, uh, around that, uh, the Monterey car week. So let me jump back and tell you, and I was in love with the, your, your concept number nine. That thing was unbelievable. It looked a bit like a, a bullet casing with wheels on the side. And that's the best way to, I mean, it was just so beautiful. This is like a step beyond that. It still has some remnants as that, of, of the, of the n- number nine. But the number 10, uh, it only has one seat. Is that right? It does. It only has one seat, which, you know, is still sort of a nod to, uh, you know, roadsters and race cars of the past. But um, at the same time, uh, it's a much more modern take on a roadster than last year's vehicle, and it, and it does incorporate a number of design elements that uh, that we plan to incorporate in future production vehicles. Now, this is sort of a nod to uh, infinities of the past, but also a promise for what you might be doing in the future. Is that right? It is, and we've talked about the fact uh, 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 openly that uh, we're headed towards a future of electrification. And uh, and when our designers think about that and what that means, it, it's it's very um, liberating from a design standpoint. And so you see a lot of um, a lot of new uh, new design language that isn't isn't constrained by you know uh, gas powertrains. And we had another vehicle at uh, Pebble, uh, which is a Q Inspiration, which is the future of our flagship sedan. And both of those, the Prototype 10 and the Q Inspiration, carry this design language that is, it's all about what uh, electrification will allow us to do in the future. You know, it's, it's confusing to know what Pebble Beach is evolving into because I think initially the car week used to be, um, you know, old guys with cars, right? Cigar smoking, uh, monocles, big mustaches, fancy hats with the ladies, frilly dresses. But much more it's become sort of uh, the, I guess, the place to go for people to see modern cars, cars of the future, as well as those historic vehicles. Why, why did you choose this venue to roll out what is ostensibly the future of infinity? Well, as you said, it, it's a special week. You really can't replicate the passion for cars that exists in Pebble. There, there's, um, the entire week now has become uh, 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 really a tribute to every genre of vehicle that you can think of from, you know, exotics to, uh, there's even an event for ugly cars now and it's everything in between. And there's certainly the high end stuff as well. But for us, it's about, um, it's about the passion, um, around cars. And, and you, as I said, you just can't replicate that. So it's, it's the perfect venue for us to put new designs and, and new thoughts and new ideas in front of these folks who are so, 
you know, so passionate and, and, and dedicated to the history of the automobile. It, it's, it's, it's the perfect venue for, for a brand like Infinity. A lot of times car companies roll out these concepts and they say, you know, this is the future. This is a glimpse into what our designers think. Is any of this real or is it just some, you know, some guys playing around in the Infinity shop and deciding, you know, uh, what they think is a good idea? Do we actually ever see any of these things filter down into real cars? I want those headlights. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's I, a really interesting question. The way you pose that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think uh, this it's a valid question if you think about it because a lot of times I see concepts. So there's two kinds of concept cars, right? There's the concept cars where you put designers and engineers in a room and go think. Think of the craziest things that you could do. And then there's the concept cars that go, this is the car we're bringing out in two years' time. Extrapolate something from that that's a bit crazy that we can get everyone really interested in. And Infinity don't do the second. They do the first. They do, you, you will let, it almost looks like you let your engineers and designers go a little crazy and just dream up what is possible. Well, when you do that, you end up with, great breakthrough ideas that ultimately do end up, not all of them, but many of them end up in production vehicles. And, and for us, we think it's a great way. We're, we've always been an innovative company, whether it's new, new kinds of cars, like, you know, the FX, which was kind of a segment buster back in its day, or, or new technologies. But you don't get those kind of breakthrough ideas by sitting around and trying to design to a standard. You know, you get those ideas by allowing really talented people to kind of just just free, think freely about craziness. And then, you know, ultimately many of those things do make it to production. So that's why I thought it was an interesting question because I don't think it's, they're mutually exclusive. Uh, one uh, helps the other in that sense. You know, when I, when I think about this, I think it's about 70% of modern electronic safety systems first appeared on Infinity cars. Surround view cameras, um, a lot of the, the things that we accept as standards today across the industry came out of infinities. It, is this something that you planned or is this the fact that you have a core of three free thinking engineers and designers? Well, we certainly, the, the, we've, we plan safety innovation. There's no doubt about that. But many of the innovations that we, that we come up with are due to the fact that we do allow folks to to think freely and to try new things and try new concepts and see what come of it because you know innovation is also it's a bit systemic you either you, you have a have an organization that is 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 bent towards innovation or you have maybe one that's bent towards efficiency and whatever else but in our in our case with infinity we've got a long history of innovation around safety, but around other things too, other technologies. And as I said, even just a new kind of a car. And so it's very much ingrained in, in our company, that kind of thinking and that kind of, of, um, of innovation. So, and, and, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you, you see a great idea coming down the bike and sometimes it just smacks you in the face. You say, well, what if we took that and did something with it? So it's, uh, there's no real recipe to it, but we, we do have a history of it and it's definitely ingrained in everyone who works at Infinity. So you have uh, some interesting new technologies that are drifting down into current cars, the new QX50. Um, it has something called a uh, projection mapping display. Well, the projection mapping display was a, that was a really interesting um, visual effect that we did at Pebble Beach in our pavilion to um, kind of bring, highlight some of the new technologies in our vehicles. And so it was a really interesting visual display. 
But one of the things that it highlighted was um, the VC Turbo, which is a, a really revolutionary breakthrough technology uh, that took us 20 years to, to bring to market. And it was, it's all about varying the compression in the engine. And we're the, it's the first engine, uh, production engine that's been able to do that. And, um, and it, what it allows is during times when you need a lot of power, it, it, it reduces the compression and, and allows the turbos to work. And when you really want efficiency, it increases the compression and you get better fuel economy. And as I said, it's the first engine uh, and the first time a manufacturer's been able to crack this where you can actually vary compression instantaneously. And so we're really proud of that. And it's really gotten uh, a great reception with, with press and with the public. Uh, and I would say, and Alex is probably a better person to talk about this because he's all about fuel efficiency, uh, but the idea of uh, doing what you have done, and Ford have tried this with the EcoBoost, and I've always said you can either have, you know, uh, not variable compression, but they've always tried to have performance and fuel economy together, and I've always said about that vehicle, you could have Eco or you could have Boost, but it was very hard to have both together, but you seem to have conquered it. Alex, would you agree that they seem to have conquered that with a with a variable compression engine? I would, I would say so. The, you know, different manufacturers tackle turbocharged engines differently. So we have seen some really efficient turbos out there. Fords are not among them. But the, the VC turbo really is pretty cool. Um, you know, other manufacturers have tried to effectively vary compression by leaving valves open a little bit later. But I think the solution is really a lot more elegant in that, that new Infinity engine. And we'll also be seeing that soon in the new Nissan Altima, actually, as I yeah, recall. The VC engine. Uh, do you see that drifting through the entire Infinity Nissan line, the VC engines, uh, Phil? Well, we're certainly going to proliferate it. You know, the, the way that we generally go to market is that we use Infinity as a test bed for new technologies. And, we, and then, you know, as they become more mainstream, it makes sense. They proliferate their wear into, you know, the Nissan lineup. And, and, uh, and in this case, we, uh, we certainly see this, this technology extending beyond the QX50. And as uh, Alex mentioned, the, the Ultima is going to be a beneficiary of this for sure. Um, and one last question for you. Is the uh, vehicle, is the Project 10 or the Concept 10 drivable? Is that a drivable vehicle? The, the Concept 10, uh, the, the, the Q Inspiration um, is the Prototype 10 will be. All right. When it is, can we make a date? <laughs> Look forward to it. <laughs> Phil, awesome. It's so good to have you on. I'm so excited. It was definitely one of my favorite concepts at uh, the concept lawn at Pebble Beach. I mean, it was really hard to choose between any, any of the cars there because there were some stellar cars. But uh, that car is definitely has the zing of the past and, and the freshness of the future. So congratulations on rolling that out uh, to Pebble Beach. It was, I think, a great success. Thank you for the kind words. It really was great to be with you this afternoon. Absolutely. And, of course, if you want to see those vehicles, you can always go to ourautoexpert.com, uh, where they'll be online. Uh, still to come on the show, got a lot more uh, packed stuff in. I'm going to talk to you about, and I'm going to have a conversation with Alex about what we just did over the last four or five days at Welch's at Resort of the Mountain. Uh, we actually drove some of the most stellar performance cars and SUVs in the world. We got to test them and decide which one was our favorite. Can't give you the results, but can definitely talk about the individuals. That's all coming up on Our Auto Expert as this show continues. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our Auto Expert will be right back. 
Hour Auto Expert with Nick Miles. It really wouldn't be a Sunday if there wasn't a car show on the radio. And the best national car show that you listen to, right here, Our Auto Expert. Um, a studio full of people, Jen is here, uh, Megan from mummytravels.net is here, Ryan is wandering around somewhere, filling his face with nuts somewhere. And uh, <laughs> and Alex Dykes is here from Alex on Auto. So Alex, how do you explain yourself to people? Oh, do I? Oh, that's that's a loaded question. Yeah, I normally say I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Always apologizing. Um, what I do? So I I review cars with a consumer focus. So right. our our channel's goal doesn't always fit with some of the you know things that we do with the AVA, the group that you and I belong to. Uh, because my goal is under $100,000, cars that sell 10,000 units a year or more. So I, wanna, I want to test every version of the Toyota Camry. I want to review every version of the Honda Accord, the F-150, the Ram 1500, etc. Because those are the cars that people actually buy. I mean, supercars are fun, they're interesting, they're, they're a, a hoot and a half to drive. But nobody buys them. Um, well, I mean, somebody buys them. Fewer well, people buy, buy no. them. Okay, fifty people buy the uh, the the Nissan one, and five hundred thousand people buy you know a GM pickup truck every but year. Here's the deal: I want to be in the five hundred thousand. I want to be in the fifty rather than the five hundred thousand. I want to be in the five hundred thousand. Do you? <laughs> I do. So you can have the fifty. I'll take the five hundred thousand. Uh, here's so. All right. So you review cars. Do, are you an engineer? I am not. I, I I did not pass the math classes. So. Here you I am. I'm on radio instead. Even today, pre-show, when we were meeting, somebody, uh, so Megan said to you, uh, you're an analytical thinker, analytical thinker, aren't you? He's making this up. I didn't say that. Oh. So, I think somebody asked you. <laughs> what I did think you Nick's ask blowing him? smoke up my skirt again. I didn't, I didn't speak to any of you before the show. Uh, I've never heard Megan say analytical before. <laughs> yeah, it's probably too big a word. Analytical? Um, oh but, my. but ultimately, everything you say comes down to numbers and... Dot, dot digits. Indeed, because I, I firmly believe there are only three ways you can sell a car. You can yep. sell a car on price. Mm -hmm. If it is the cheapest thing available, it'll sell because it's cheap. Right. And you can forgive anything. I mean, I, I don't care what the car looks like inside or outside. If it is $5,000 and it's brand new, I will buy that car because it's cheap. You I'd like sell. to introduce you to Tata Motors. <laughs> and then exactly, and then these perfect example: Nissan Versa. Uh, you know, all the all the all the really inexpensive vehicles. Great cars in my book. Brand new car with a warranty for eleven thousand dollars. Great. Uh, luxury is the next one, and you can charge whatever you want if it's luxurious enough. This, this is where Rolls Royce live. Uh, the Mercedes Benz S Class. You know, it's justifiable because it's rare, it's luxurious, it's unique, etc. The trouble is, everything else in between falls in the value category. And that is, how much stuff do I get for the dollar? Yeah. But wait, what's the third one that sells cars? That's the third one. Price, luxury, and value. I disagree. Safety. Safety is something that everybody always says they when want. When you have little kids, that's the number one thing is safety. Unless you're cheap. I, no, I, no this, I bought the number one car on the market for safety when, but, when it was time to put my babies in the car. That's why I drive a minivan. See, personally, I agree with the safety line because I've owned Volvos before, but when you interview car, car, car shoppers, safety is so low on the list. Yeah, yeah it's probably talking to moms. <laughs> yes. it's, I, they do we surveys, like car companies do surveys on this all the time, right? Really? They work out what are the stimulations to buy because yeah. if you hit the, the top three or four stimulations, you're going to get much more mm -hmm. buyers than if you hit number seven, eight, and nine. And so the idea is that safety used to be really huge, but fuel economy used to be huge when we were yeah. paying five bucks a gallon, four bucks a gallon. It might be big again. 
Um, diesel was huge for that very reason, fuel economy. Uh, but really what it comes down to is we're a bunch of cheap people. Do you know what that number one category is that most people want when they buy a car? Tell me. Style. Really? Style is the number one It's a good thing I only category. own sexy cars. The I just want lumbar one. support. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I agree. Why do cars, more cars, not have adjustable lumbar? Welcome to radio for yeah. car people who are over 80. Hey, I'm, I am I'm 79 next month. Young people have bad backs, too. No, they don't. I do. I have nothing wrong with me. I would like to prevent my back from getting bad. Well, I just want the seat to go up. I don't like yes. those, you know, I'm a little person. Uh, we could get into that. It's a whole thing there with this, this is value. So it's how much do I pay for the car? What features does it have? Right. I want feature X, Y, and Z. How much do I have to pay to get that in one brand versus another? That's where I find real true interest in, in the automotive world. When you review cars, you do like every single trim level. We try and cover everything. So we try and we take a holistic look at the car. How does it compete uh, in the segment? Is it bigger, shorter, more comfortable, less comfortable? What's the room inside like? I always try and hop in the trunk because, you know, people need to know how many of me will fit in the trunk. You get in the um, trunk? I get in the trunk. It, sound, it sounds crazy, and it was initially a shtick, but I have to say that actually getting in the trunk has opened my eyes to certain certain ways that vehicle manufacturers package things. Because once you're in the trunk, you realize this trunk's not symmetrical. Like, if I want to put big boxes in the trunk... I can't in some cars because the trunk is not symmetrical and there are bumps in there on, on the parcel shelf below there that, that preclude you from putting big items in there. And you we couldn't also do see a, that with your eyeballs? Not as much. You got to climb, really climb in the trunk. We okay. also do roller bag tests and then we run through everything. We drive it, et cetera, do the usual, usual stick of comparing to other cars that way. And then we dive into pricing. So we identify all the trim levels, what you get in different trim levels, and then take the four major competitors of each vehicle we review, and then we beat them to death. We just talk about it until everybody is bored and wants to shoot. This is an interesting... You got me interested in something. Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting idea. So you have now cars, but the... So we talk about liters. We talk about liters or what we talk those? about cubic Don't, feet. They just have those in Europe. You're right. But they talk about cubic feet. A lot of times they do liter storage. So they'll oh, put a bag. Feet. I get that. They'll, they'll put a bag in the back and they'll fill it with liquid or air and they'll work out how many cubic feet uh, they have. So they can actually, but that volume doesn't mean anything if it's not symmetrical and you can't get an Ikea box in that mm -hmm. just because it has so much volume, if it's a weird shape. This is true. And there's a lot of that going on, uh, especially with crossovers. I'm because being cheated right now. I feel like I'm yes. being cheated. I, like, I, I know literage of car or I know, I know square feet of car in the rear, but it's not usable. I measure trunk space by carry-on suitcases. How many yep. carry-on suitcases exactly. I can fit in the back of the trunk? We use 24-inch roller bags, which yeah, are slightly larger. So, How many so, carry-on suitcases do you This gets super confusing now because if Four. you've ever traveled with Ryan, like <laughs> his suitcases are definitely not carry-on. I've seen that. I, I seriously check like I think like two a minimum of two to three judge. bags. We went to the oh no, we went to the mountain last week to test. We haven't talked about that yet. We went to the mountain to, to test drive this week. No, Ryan had like eight times the luggage that I had. Well, it's got to look good. Well, that I assure you, that's not I the way it's working. I only changed my outfit twice, but I had like five <laughs> bags. <laughs> no, so I'm so we there's four of us, and we usually have four carry-on suitcases. And if I rent a tiny car and I cannot fit the suitcases in there, then one of the kids gets to hold them, and that's not uh, good. So yeah. we're going to talk about AVA cars when we come back. Oh, we haven't had the chance to do that. The cars we tested for the performance car and SUV of the year. That's all. As our auto expert continues right here. of our
Power Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is our Auto Expert. So over the last uh, week, there were eight of the top uh, television, rear, and video producers from YouTube and television up at Resort of the Mountain, uh, which is, as you know, uh, just about an hour outside of Portland, Oregon. And we were test driving the top SUVs performance-wise and the top cars or performance cars to choose which we thought the performance car and SUV of the year was. Um, Alex, do you remember all of them? I uh, I have a list. I <laughs> <You're laughs> <cheating. laughs> Tell so, us. Uh, we had the uh, the McLaren 720s, the Ford Mustang Bullet, the BMW X3 M40i. Dodge Durango SRT, the Dodge Challenger Red Eye, Maserati Quattroporte, Maserati Levante, Alfa Romeo Stelvio, the Levante GTS, Levante GTS. I'm yeah. sorry there, my bad. Uh, the Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio and the Mercedes Benz GLC 63 AMG. Does that say that's a that's a lot of vehicles? And we test drove all of these, and we can't tell you what the winner is because that's uh, that's not going to be announced for a couple of weeks, but. Um, I will tell you the interesting part was uh, well several things. First of all, there the rules about these vehicles where they had to be new or significantly updated from 2017, uh, which all of those vehicles were. Uh, that was the first thing. The second thing was they had to uh, they had to fit into the category of a car and SUV. And then we basically got to drive them and spend two hours with each one and evaluate them. We changed the judging this year. So last year it was done very methodically, very mathematically, where price and horsepower were fixed and they were given a number. But then we got to choose value, fun to drive, and yeah, design. Yeah, we got to choose some, some points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how we did last year. It. No, no, and we, and we felt that there wasn't enough emotion in the design. Where there was no haggling in yes. the design. There was no conversation. It was very math and and. We, as since we're all work in the medium of video, we felt very much like we wanted to have more spirited conversations. Let's say, and we got spirited conversations. We did, we did and I realized that my favorite—I forgot to mention—even the M5, the BMW M5, was also there. Right, my bad. Um, yeah, you, uh, you know, when it came down to a draw. Everybody would position themselves by which car that they thought, and then the one team would try and convince the other team to come, someone to come over. And that happened. Uh, there was a draw twice, I think. That's true. In the event. And it happened, but it didn't just... It's interesting when it happened in the cars, we had a draw between two vehicles. And Are we allowed it, to mention them? It, it, uh, we're probably not, because that... That means well, no, we can mention them because it doesn't say where they came in the in the, oh, that's uh, true. the winning. So that's it was true. between the M5 and the Red Eye. Uh, at one stage, one was going to get eliminated. So eliminated. So we eliminated a vehicle every round, uh, or as we like to put it, being the positive spin on people. We only carried forward uh, uh, a limited number. The island kept shrinking. Yes, and so one vehicle was not able to be carried forward, and they were all extremely worthy of being there. But at one point, the elimination was 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 between the Red Eye, uh, the Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye wide body, and the uh, BMW M5, and it was split four and four. 
It's and it got people, vicious. Old people versus young people. Or those that know about those that don't know. Depends on me. Because you could tell by this time, Alex and I were on separate sides. <laughs> uh, so, it, interestingly enough, the convincing did not just get one person to change sides, but got two people to change sides. So, so one of those cars got eliminated and Alex was upset. I was. I was devastated. You realize we now know which car got eliminated. Oh, you probably worked it out, but at the same time, it doesn't tell you which car won. Oh, never mind. That's true. So, uh, but it was, it it got pretty, uh, Sophian uh, got very upset. Yes. Uh, from Redline Reviews. In a, positive, in a positive and affirming way. Oh, I don't know. I think he was absolutely angry. <laughs> I've never seen him as angry as he was that the old people chose the car he didn't want. Well, I, I think, think it, it, it was definitely the get-off-my-lawn crowd that liked the Challenger. <laughs> it is, it's a fabulous car, but not as good. Not as good. Sorry. Do you know how much work goes into a lawn, Alex? Do you know how when you work on a lawn, you don't want young hoodlums and yobs destroying your lawn? I'm just telling you. Yeah, what's that supposed to mean? He I means t- the angry old man waving his fist. Yeah. Oh, I tell people to get off my lawn. I'm not that old. <laughs> so, uh, but I actually think it was the passionate people, the people that think oh. with their heart versus the people that think with their head, because you and, and Sophian think with your heads. I definitely think with my heart. Oh, I don't know about that. The the M5 is just Alex. Come that's on. because he's analytical. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the engineering. I think the engineering in the M5 honestly impressed me because it's so much easier to take an existing car and just throw a big, powerful engine under the hood. I mean, and and don't get me wrong, that is the best thing that I love that FCA does all the time. FCA will take a big, huge engine, they will jam it in anything that it will fit in, and instantly. It is a blast to it's drive. Passion. It is it does fun. Not. It is it's so much smoke. fun. It's but, horsepower. But, it's but noise. But there's no precision. There's no engineering work involved. Who cares? In this. It's fun. There's no. There's no. There's no uh, heart in that. In a way, the best cooking is home cooking, where the flavors are love and no. history. It's not scientific food design. It's well, you don't fun use a and excitement. We need to visit some restaurants because. So no, scientific food is scientific food design is not fun. So food design is where it's a passion. Okay, so if, you, if you need to bake a, a birthday cake, yes. you're not going to look up a recipe for a cake. I know how to make it top of my head. Okay, I know exactly what to do. Flash okay, your eggs. Okay, yeah. bake me a cake next time I'm here. Oh, you'd love it. <laughs> I promise you, it would have passion. It would have flavor. It would have absolute dis- delight. Soup in a bowl. Nick yeah. made some corn dogs last night, and they were just full of passion. And they flip. came. They came out of the package that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's not a really good equation because they did what? Okay, hey. I'm so confused. Can we go back to cars? Yeah, yeah let's go back yeah, to cars. Go to so, corn dogs. What else? What, uh, what was your favorite there, Nick? Your personal uh, favorite. You know, I look. I think the Red Eye is amazing, an amazing vehicle. Um, I just every time you think that the twenty-year-old platform that that Dodge Challenger is built on is probably not quite twenty years old, but it's not far off. That twenty-year-old-ish platform, they do amazing things with it. Talk about giving you a fun thrill horsepower for your money. It's. A, I will tell you right now. I could drive that Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye out uh, to Gresham to the police department there, and every officer would get in that car, and they would never want to get out. They would love that vehicle. Or you could drive it out to Tacoma. I mean, people who are passionate about driving about cars, take that to Tacoma Police Department. Any police department where people are passionate about performance and speed and those sort of things, those guys would, you'd have to peel them off the car. They would absolutely adore it. 
You realize how many times you just said passion? Yes. Well, I it, mean, it, but it's true. It's passion. Passion's it, what it's about. It appeals to one of my senses, but then if you, the moment you get in the M5 and you drive it right next to it, I think that you will M5. No, but I did drive both of them. And I, and I so, still don't so. like <laughs> yeah. With a rational open mind, Nick. Anyway, besides that, so that so Red Eye was your favorite. No, the Red Eye was, I would say, one of my favorite. I think. What is your favorite? Uh, I the McLaren. McLaren, the seven twenty S. I tell you why the yes. McLaren. The McLaren was my favorite because there was just no limits. I mean, uh, and forget about three hundred and forty-three, three hundred and forty-three thousand dollars, <laughs> but zero to sixty in two point seven seconds. Yes. Seriously. Yes, but I mean, that's stupid time. Yes, but hang on, because the M five was the second fastest. Right. Two point eight seconds. Yes. But, not, but when you pulled into Subway. Between the M5 nobody and looked the at the M5, yeah, but yeah. nobody wanted they to key it or jack you because I mean they're not gonna. That's know. the thing about the M5. It, look, on paper, <laughs> it's an amazing car, but when you're driving it down the street, if I'm paying huge amounts of money, hundred thousand dollars ish, or three hundred forty-three thousand dollars, if I was buying the McLaren 720S, I at least want people to look at me. I would buy two of the Levantes that are sitting in your driveway now, though. All right. Uh, what about uh, SUVs? The Maserati Levante, I think. Me too. Uh, the Quattrofolio is second, but the Levante GTS, uh, those, the team at Maserati did an amazing, and the, and the Trofeo, which comes yeah. with an extra 40 horsepower that comes later the, this year. The GFC sounded so incredible, and it's just built like a Mercedes. It's just so beautiful on the inside. It's it's a sleeper on the outside. It just looks like a little mommy grocery. I would agree. Yeah, I was just saying, like, oh this was God. really hard right. this year because all of them were so, so good. Yeah. This debate will continue on Facebook. You can always join <laughs> us there. Coming up, we're going to talk to Anton Warman. He is our independent investor and analyst. We're going to talk about all things Tesla and how sales figures did last month. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles. is on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. It's uh, quite a spirited show uh, um, with us discussing what we like and what we didn't like from uh, the ABA Awards, which were taking place. It's the uh, choice of the performance car and performance SUV of the year. In the studio with us, uh, Megan from Mummy Travels, Ryan, Alex Dykes from Alex on Autos, and Jen. Uh, we are going to turn now to the part of the show which I actually find uh, to be most stimulating, and Alex is probably going to uh, join in here. We join our independent investor and analyst on the phone, Anton Wallman. Uh, Anton, this week has been one of the most bizarre weeks in automotive ever. It has on a multitude of levels, of course, but uh, I think that sometimes the headlines coming from the more popular media sometimes uh, take the spotlight away from what could have been really the more important substance of what really came out in the week, which really has to do with uh, fundamentals such as sales, production and deliveries from all automakers that were published earlier this week. Let's let's peel down to it because the one question that everyone wants to know is what was in the cigarette that Elon Musk smoked on the Joe Rogan podcast? <laughs> it was uh, definitely uh, uh, profit dollars that went up in smoke <laughs> because uh, that seems to have been the more important substance that uh, 
went uh, very swiftly out through the air conditioning system there. But uh, more seriously, no, the um, the company actually issued an update just hours after that strange interview in which it proclaimed a uh, major management reorganization where it appointed as the new president of automotive Jerome Guillen, who had been previously with the company for a whole bunch of years and most recently been in charge of trying to develop their electric semi-truck, among other things, and who is probably their most well-regarded senior executive in the company. So uh, in all but name, I mean, he is really taking charge of the company's most significant operations. Uh, furthermore, the company also said in a very cryptic way that it will at least double both production and sales of its cars, but it didn't make clear whether it was uh, referring to the third quarter, which is uh, almost finished, or whether it was really referring to the fourth quarter. But when you run the numbers, you can only conclude that they were really talking about the fourth quarter because otherwise they did not make uh, any sense. Are Tesla as far behind as we suspected they would be at this point? Do Tesla sales numbers well, ever make sense? Well, what you mean by far behind. Um, the company is uh, delivering Model 3 cars at a very rapid clip, reasonably speaking. Uh, the numbers that came out from Inside EVs, which is widely regarded as being the best at estimating their sales in the U.S. market, said that they had delivered 17,800 Model 3 units inside the U.S. in August, and I believe that number is, is probably very accurate. So that's actually a very good number in the big scheme of things, even though, of course, Tesla's own guidance that they gave some time ago was for a far larger number. But in, in uh, you know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, compared to other cars in the market, it's actually a very good number. Right, but when we when I come back to this time and time again, only promise uh, over over promise or uh, under promise and over deliver, and they seem to be over promising and under delivering still. But, but I, oh but, yeah, no, no. Clearly, they promised five hundred thousand units for twenty eighteen, and of course, they'll be nowhere near even half that number. So uh, they're they're certainly masters at over promising, but they're in the real world, in the real market, among real analysts and so forth. They um, uh, the expectations are more in line with these numbers, actually. Yeah, I mean, no one no one really expected their 500,000 number to actually be reality. That was very pie in the sky. But I have to say, I am impressed with their actual Model 3 shipments. So, Anton, how does total total calendar year 2018 model year shipments compare to C-Class and 3 Series? Oh, no, they are certainly above any of those individual uh, individual uh, names. I mean, we, we are talking about comparing them, however, in those cases to just individual product lines among those other automakers where uh, whether you look inside BMW or you look inside Mercedes, uh, those sedans have been losing market share inside those companies to their crossover counterparts. Take BMW, they sell fewer 3 Series sedans this year, but they sell more X3 crossovers. And if you look at BMW sales to date, August to date in the United States, they are actually up 1.9% year to date. So in the midst of talking about how Tesla has absolutely gained market share because they must have gotten the numbers from somebody uh, with their Model 3, 
look at BMW. They have actually grown this year in the United States as a whole, if only 1.9%. So it's not as easy to say that just the 3 Series sedan has lost market share to the Model 3, which it probably has, but BMW has more than made up for it with their crossover models. Right, I, I was actually wondering more on on conquest sales in my head, at any rate. Like, how many people are new to the luxury segment that are buying buying something that haven't bought a luxury car before at all? Oh, Alex, you're absolutely right. Basically, uh, Tesla itself said a couple of months ago that uh, the um, uh, major conquest sales for the Model Three were mostly less expensive vehicles. Mm. They listed not just very green cars like the Prius and the Leaf, but also the Honda Civic and the BMW 3 Series and whatever else it was that when it was clearly weighted toward cars that when you compare them to the average selling price of the Model 3 right now, which is estimated to be at $59,000. Anton, Anton, let's take a, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to take a break for commercials. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation because it's uh, very powerful. OurAutoExpert.com continues. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. On the phone with us is Anton Woolman. He is an independent investor and analyst. Uh, Anton, there has been some significant uh, news around electric vehicles in the last week. Ups in deliveries and introductions of new vehicles. That's right. So we saw the first unveiling of the first really proper Mercedes electric car. Mercedes, of course, has had other electric cars like the smart car and had a limited run worth of the B-Class that was really built on a, a Tesla battery and a Tesla motor. But those were low volume, especially in the United States. So now they're coming out with what is really their own internally generated and designed uh, line of electric cars. The first one is the EQC, which is a sort of a compact to mid-sized SUV, similar to the GLC in the gasoline slash diesel world. And um, it will uh, begin manufacturing in the spring of 2019 in terms of actual customer deliveries. Customer deliveries beginning in Germany in the summer of 2019, and then the rest of Europe in the fall of 2019, China at the end of 2019, and then the United States gets it in the beginning of 2020. And that is going to be a problem for Mercedes because Jaguar begins deliveries in Europe right now and will be beginning deliveries here in the U.S. in uh, in probably early November, and uh, Audi will be showing their car in a week. They will begin deliveries in Europe just now in the fourth quarter, probably early November, and they will begin deliveries in the U.S. in the early spring, probably by March. So uh, Jaguar and Audi are going to be uh, arriving in the market before Mercedes does, and uh, uh, that's a bit of a problem when you're talking about an impatient buyer base who is looking for the latest and greatest as soon as possible. Now, I am flying on Tuesday into a non-disclosed location where a plane will arrive, and we will get to go onto the plane and look at a new car from a company and uh, then the plane will take off again and fly to another location in the world well journalists get to do the same thing but they're going to take our cameras and our phones uh, so we can't take pictures of it 
Um, so there are other companies that are unveiling new cars to the journalists. I think that becomes public information on the 13th of September after everyone in Beijing has seen it. But this, these are not the only companies. There are, uh, you know, as well as uh, Audi, there are new cars being unveiled in the next few weeks. And I would also say maybe Anton can speak to this more, but it's worth mentioning that Tesla's federal tax credit uh, will be sunsetting here soon. And these other luxury car companies won't because they haven't reached the required minimum or, or sorry, maximum number of sales for that yeah, for you, their credit to especially start. Especially with Jaguar. Uh, yeah. Do you think that's going to make a huge difference with uh, Jaguar and, uh, and Hyundai? Because the fact is that they can still offer those credits. Well, first of all, Alex is 100% correct. I mean, uh, uh, starting on the 1st of January of 2019, the tax credit, as far as Tesla is concerned, will be cut in half from $7,500 per vehicle to $3,750, where it will sit for six months. And then in the middle of 2019, that will get cut in half again to $1,875 per vehicle for the rest of 2019, at which point it goes to zero. And you are also exactly right, Nick, that Jaguar is going to see that as a major advantage because neither Jaguar and, for that matter, Audi or Porsche or any of these other companies, Volvo and Buick and Hyundai and Kia and Nissan that are coming, um, a few of them will be a little bit closer to see their uh, tax cut expiring, and that is uh, Nissan and General Motors. But these other players, especially the luxury makers, will essentially have at least a year or two worth of a free run at the full number. But it should also be noted that if you're talking about a car that will cost in the ballpark of $75,000, the $7,500 tax credit ought not to have quite as large a meaning as we, as it would have for a car that cost exactly half of that, like a Chevy Bolt, which is $37,500. So depending on what part of the market that you're playing, uh, it may not matter quite as much. Trip, would President Trump just like to get rid of the uh, tax credits altogether and, and be done with them? Because at this point, it starts to get a little confusing. Well, uh, he actually hasn't talked about it at all. The Senator Heller from Nevada, who's up for re-election, has actually come up with a proposal that these things be extended. Uh, my sense is that it goes absolutely, absolutely nowhere in Congress and that essentially there'll be no change to this legislation, either up or down, forwards or backwards, that the rules that were set in place years ago simply are allowed to play out as per the schedule that was legislated uh, years ago. Do you think uh, uh, people are still working hard on developing electric cars? Because it seems like everybody's getting into the game and we're going to see some of the vehicles we've heard so, so much about, like Fisker and these other car companies coming out with their electric vehicles in the next year. So we still have a lot more to come. Yeah, we sure do. I mean, the existing automakers have to do it because of government mandates. I mean, the natural rate for electric car adoption in the absence of subsidies and carpool lanes incentives and other uh, incentives is, is approximately 0.1%, whether you're talking about uh, uh, Montenegro or Montana or some other far-flung geography, that's roughly where electric car sales are in the absence of subsidies. But if you tell me how high the subsidies and incentives are, I can pretty much tell you how much they're going to sell. 
And in Norway, penetration has reached essentially 50% of the market, but there you're getting an incentive in some cases up to $138,000 per car for buying one. So, of course, you'd be almost crazy not to buy an EV. So the subsidies will be determining adoption, and all the automakers have to essentially follow these new quantitative minimums that are coming online at different paces in different geographies. So I think what's going to happen is that all of these startups, and I think in China alone we have over 370 electric vehicle startups just in China alone, I think that we are going to see a very, very high rate of infant mortality among those companies that I think there are too many startups and I think very, very few of them are going to survive. So uh, this will be a major shakeout, uh, uh, not within 10 years, probably not within five years, but already within the next two to three years. Let's change our focus from uh, electric only vehicles to hybrids. Uh, it looks like there's hybrid mania happening. Uh, Ram trucks who are going to... Uh, be selling their hybrid version of the V6, which is a, a mild hybrid. It's basically the transmission. Uh, it's the e-assist is what we used to call it. Uh, they are likely to be the best-selling hybrid in America. It's the please yeah, don't call me hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't even call it a hybrid. And then, you know, of course, if you were Toyota, you would take issue with calling it a hybrid because this is what we also call a 48-volt system, which is not the kind of higher volt system that Toyota uses in its hybrid and so forth. So in, and we're also talking about a battery which is less than a half a kilowatt hour, whereas, you know, say a Toyota Prius or equivalent, it's about a one and a quarter yeah, kilowatt hours. So it's a very, very mild system, but nevertheless, it is a battery that sits in the car that helps with making start-stop into a far more smoother experience than it would be otherwise. And it does lift the miles per gallon equation for a Ram truck by about two miles per gallon, especially in city driving and in combined driving. And uh, if you look at the numbers that will be in the market for a product like this, I mean, Ram sold a half a million pickup trucks just in the United States market alone in calendar year 2017. And if you're looking at the base model here, the V6 will have it as standard and some portion of the V8 versions will also get it because the upcharge is about $1,450. You can probably conclude that we're going to see out from the ballpark of, in the ballpark of 250,000 of these mild hybrid pickup trucks, these e-assist, e-torque as the Ram calls them, 48 volt system being infused into the market on an annualized calendar basis here starting in just the next uh, couple of months. Let's talk about uh, vehicle manufacturer's structure. So this year we saw the loss of Sergio Marchioni, was probably an icon in the car industry. Well, not probably. I mean, he definitely was an icon in the car industry. Uh, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles may not have existed if he hadn't uh, restructured the company. He is uh, by far the biggest loss that we've had in a long time in the automotive industry. Um, and the sad portion of, of his loss now leaves the company under the direction of Mike Manley, who formerly headed Jeep and uh, Ram trucks. He was the boss there. He is the heir apparent to take over the Fiat Chrysler uh, structure of companies. Um, he's talking about a, a change to the structure of the company, which in a sense, too, seems uh, difficult uh, because those people that believed so much in Sergio thought that he had the right plan. Uh, what is Mike likely to do, and how is it going to affect those companies under the Fiat Chrysler umbrella? 
Well, this is going to be really interesting because uh, now that uh, Mike Manley is going to unveil his new plan for the company with a new management structure before the end of September, we're going to see whether there really was a, a, a difference of opinion under what seemed to be uh, a very clear uh, uh direction by Sergio Marchione. Uh, he, it seemed to the outer world that there was no dissent inside the company with respect to his decisions to allocate capital, say, in favor of Alfa Romeo and Maserati in a big way. And according to some people, certainly reduced in the last handful of years the investment that went into uh, Jeep and Ram when you compare it to the amount of profit that they were already bringing in. So uh, instead of, for example, coming out with their new very large three-row SUV, the Wagoneer, which is now going to hit in about 18 or so months from now, that product was going to be out originally by about now, and instead it got delayed. So were these the decisions that somebody like the new CEO actually agreed with, or were these types of decisions ones where he actually disagreed, but where the dissent was never seen outside the company? Now that he has got free range to do whatever he wants, we are going to see, as I said, you know, when, when the tide runs out, we'll see who has been swimming naked. And in this case, we will find out whether FDA uh, really had a uh, dissent within its ranks in terms of what uh, the strategy ought to have been. I think it's going to be hard for him to explain a turnaround from the amount of promotion that he's putting into Alfa Romeo, Maserati. I mean, he put Tim Kaniskas in charge of those two brands. Tim is clearly well known for rescuing the Dodge brand and uh, really bringing them to the forefront and uh, giving them life, breathing life back into that. And he'll probably do the same with uh, the Italian brands. He also seems very comfortable with Alfa Romeo Maserati. I mean, he seems to really know the brands and understand the performance. And if one thing I can say about Tim that's a hugely positive uh, is Tim knows marketing. He knows what people want. I mean, the guy started as a car salesman. He's not a fool in knowing what stimulates people when they go into the dealership. So uh, it will be interesting to see that. Uh, will we, you know, we, will we see changes in the industry from that? Probably not immediately, but we're definitely going to see quite a few new products coming from Fiat Chrysler. Uh, LA Auto Show slated for the new Jeep truck, right? That's right. So the new Jeep truck, which is rumored to be called the Scrambler, uh, which is building off of the all-new Wrangler that started production at the very tail end of last year, ought to be going into production in about April of 2019. And uh, I think we'll see that um, uh, here at the LA Auto Show right after uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, uh, that should be a very successful product. I mean, you made a Jeep uh, Wrangler with a pickup truck. I mean, is there anything more self-evident than that that will become... Uh, I mean, you basically could have a, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, your funeral parlor uh, try to market this thing, and they could fail, you know, because you, 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 I mean, this thing is going to happen. This product is going to sell. I mean, whether you have a marketing department or not, I mean, people are going to die. So in this case, whether you have a marketing department or not, this product is going to sell uh, like hotcakes. I have no doubt about it. Anton Wallman, it's always great to have you on the show. And Anton is an independent investor and analyst, and you can find his stuff at SeekingAlpha.com. Alex, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks Thank for you your for contribution. Me. Yeah, it was fun. Alex on autos, you can find him uh, on YouTube. Uh, MummyTravels.net, you can find Megan there. And you can find us 24-7 at OurAutoExpert.com. All the previous shows, all our television videos, and, of course, pictures and news stories of all the latest cars that you want to see, ourautoexpert.com. See you next week.